I don't keep track of stuff very well. Good morning. Good morning. We're in Ecclesiastes, starting chapter number four. How time flies when you're having fun. Or if you're Kermit the Frog. Let me see. Time is fun when you're having flies. That's, that's what it is. Okay, so I, I kind of mentioned a little bit last week as I was closing out that chapter 4 through chapter 10, or halfway through chapter 10, looks a lot like uh, Proverbs. We had some structure here the first few chapters, and now we're going to be kind of dealing with these quips and quotes and kind of short things, and um, they're in kind of like groups, but then... You may see them once or twice, different points of view. So the next several chapters, that's what we're going to be kind of dealing with. Um, there is structure here, but just kind of this middle part is really different than the first part and the last part. Uh, these next few chapters could be called Life Under the Sun, kind of a user's guide to life under the sun. It talks a lot about that. It also talks about views looking through or looking towards God through it too. So it kind of switches back and forth. The preacher's going to uh, talk about some big issues, the hardships of life, poverty and wealth, vexations of circumstances, circumstances and of man himself. That's a deep one. I can't even pronounce it. Um, the authority of kings and others misapplied. We don't see that. That was something that happened way back when. You don't see it these days. <laughs> and the limits of wisdom to where it kind of encroaches on folly. It kind of gets ridiculous. Okay? So this is kind of like, this is what it's really like facing the world under the sun. And he's, like I said, these, these various themes kind of overlap here and there. But, um, and I'm going to try to give you a little bit of, of a kind of a synopsis about what we're going to talk about so you'll, you'll kind of see what's going on. The chapter 4, the first part of chapter 4 talks about uh, uh, oppression without comfort. Oppression without comfort. Let's look at uh, the first three verses of chapter number 4. Say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we have, Father, to study your word, Father. Pray, God, you bless us lesson this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I raised the... Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than uh, the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Let's try to, let's see if I can unwind that a little bit. So, the preacher, when he says here in verse number one, so I returned, uh, he had a, I guess, a fresh reflection. He looked at it again. He looked back. He's talked a lot about a lot of things that he's seen, but he kind of reflects again. Uh, I returned, and I considered all the oppressions, all the things that I have seen. I looked at those again. 
that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, they had no comforter. Those folks that were oppressed didn't have any comforter. The oppressors are in power, but I guess you call them the oppressees. <laughs> Those that are oppressed had no comfort. And there's no certain era he has here, mind, because every era we can study is the same type of, of, of thing. Uh, every, every section of history has the oppressors and the oppressed. The oppressors have too much power. And, you know, the Old Testament always had compassion on the oppressed. So what's missing here, the preacher is saying, is actual comfort. Earthly resources don't give us comfort. Verse number two, wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Pretty strong statement. The preacher presses his, his reasoning of the under the sun view here. Uh, this, this oppression, godliness, and godless sorrow can actually lead to distress, despair, even suicide. Look at First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter seven. Hold your place in Ecclesiastes. Second Corinthians, chapter seven. In verse number ten, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh what? Death. Death. So our sorrow about our sins worketh repentance. And it says not to be repented of or not to be regretted. We don't regret getting saved. We don't regret that sorrow we had about our sins. How we, how we hurt God and how we're offending God. We didn't have sorrow about that. We did something about that. We got saved. But other folks, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. I don't know how many guys in my 22 years in the Army, I had, I bet nine people committed suicide that I knew over my 22 years. By 21 years in WTA, we had four drivers and people that I knew personally, good people, kill themselves. And I had no idea what was going on in their life. No one did. They just surprised everybody. But that's, that's a real problem these days. It really is. How many folks do you deal with, Pastor, that Probably on your two a month? Maybe. Yeah, your, your officer duties are, yeah. It's, it's scary. So he says in verse 3, Yea, better is he that both they, better is he than both they, which hath not seen, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Those that haven't been born haven't seen the evil things being done. And the preacher says they're better off. I don't know if I'd agree with that, but that's, that's what he said. That's his viewpoint under the sun. They're better off because they haven't experienced the vanity and the oppression that other folks have been through. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. And again, I considered all travail, whether every work, 
every right work. Therefore, this man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. Talking about rivalry here a little bit. Again, I considered. Again, he looked back. He had seen these things. He thinks about them. He considers them. All the travail, all the hard work, all the effort, all the labor we have, and every right work, every skill we have, that for this man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The preacher sees, and this is, this is kind of a strange viewpoint here, the preacher sees that the main motivation for work is human rivalry. Think about it. Effort put forth, travail, and every right work skill often hides the scramble that man has for wealth, leadership, power, and status. Ever think about that before? That's right. It's called keeping up with the Joneses, whoever they are. There used to be a saying back, I don't know if they still say it anymore, but we used to say it back when, keeping up with the Joneses. you got to get what everybody else has. And I, I remember back in the workplace there, I remember people saying, oh, I got my... I got my RV, I got my this, I got my boat, I got all this stuff here. Because I think they had to have that. Because everybody else had it. Everybody else was in debt too. You know, they want to join with them. But they had all these things. And if they have that thing and someone else has that thing, other people think they ought to have those things. Well, I got my boat. And, and, it's bigger than yours. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Well, my next boat's going to be even bigger than that. And here we go, you know? So, uh, and their RV has to be a certain foot long. If you get anything long, shorter than 38 feet, you just aren't camping. That's just not the, that's not the way it is, you know what I mean? That's just, and, and people compete this way, and, and that's what he's talking about. They, they, they do that, and in order to pay for that, what do they got to do? They gotta struggle, work overtime, all this sacrifice their families sometimes to, to make ends meet. That's what the preacher's seeing here. Beneath all the human efforts, the preacher sees this restless desire to outclass or outdo others, to keep up with or to exceed what the normal guy is doing. How many of you got a man cave, man? I've got a man dog house. That's all I got. Garage. I only have half of that. The other half's all full of stuff. Yeah. These guys have these, you know, the 20 foot TV sets. I don't know what they got down. Big, huge TV sets. So they can sit down there in their lounge chair and bark a lounger and eat popcorn and watch sports or something. I don't, I don't have that. This is known as envy. That's what the preacher's talking about. Envy. Envy enrages a man. What's another word for envy? Jealousy. Jealousy. Good. And this is one of the more depressing aspects under the sun. It means that a man's efforts are vain. Because somebody always is better. Somebody always has more. You can't get ahead. The precise thought here is that is not that work causes rivalry, 
but work stems from rivalry. Isn't that an interesting thought? I'm not having conflict because I'm working. I'm working because I'm having conflict. I'm working because I want to be like everybody else. There's nothing wrong with being like everybody else. I guess if you can afford it and you don't give up everything in your life to do that, that's where it goes wrong is when you start sacrificing church, family, that's right. everything that's good and right for your life just to make the buck. Man is envied by his neighbor, the way the preacher looked at it. Verse 5, the foolish, the fool foldeth, foldeth his hand, his hand, his lisp, his hands together and eateth his own flesh. This is opposite of verse 4. The guy that's envious and that's working hard and wants to keep up and get more and exceed his, this is the opposite of that. This is the guy that just drops out. Uh, they call him the escapist. He just quits. Drops out. Total indifference. You meet them on the street sometimes. You may think they're homeless, but there's some really smart people out there Amen. that have just decided to step out of it. That's right. I've talked to them at the mission before. Medical doctors, educators, businessmen. I just had to get out of it. And I'd rather live on the street or go to a mission and travel by train and I talked to them. Smart people, they just couldn't take it anymore. They dropped out. To fold the hands is to become idle. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, back there in your, to your left there. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. There's some other verses like that in Proverbs that, you know, the guy that doesn't keep up with his farming doesn't make a living. The guy that doesn't go to work doesn't make a living. The guy that doesn't put any kind of effort doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. Verse number six, back in our text in Ecclesiastes chapter four, better is an handful with quietness than both the hands full of full with travail and vexation of spirit. Better is an handful of quietness than both the hands full of travail and vexation of spirit. A handful of quietness is the middle way between relentless grasping in verse number four, both hands, but not too much. One hand is enough. Two hands uh, full of travail and vexation. So he's saying you'll find life within your grasp, but if you have both hands, that's a, that's a strain. That's that's getting too much. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. He said, just do with one hand enough. Don't be the guy that's getting both his hands full and working himself to death to get more. Get enough. Better is an handful or one handful with quietness than both hands full of travail and vexation. Amen. How such a life is attained is one of the underlying themes of the book of Ecclesiastes. How can I live a comfortable life? How can I do what I need to do 
and enjoy myself, as he said earlier back in chapter 3, how can I do these things and enjoy life and please God? That's where we're going. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, For whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Again, he had to look back at something, didn't he? He saw this, and he's reflecting on all the things he's seen. I saw vanity under the sun. Another fresh reflection. I witnessed, I saw. There is one alone, and there's not a second. The, the, the picture here presented is, is uh, of a man who has neither friend. The verse calls that a second. Okay, doesn't have a second. Or a close relative. The verse calls that neither child nor brother. His achievements, although profitable, as it says riches, doesn't satisfy him. A companion or uh, an heir might be appreciative of his efforts and his achievements, but none are available. He's alone. Nobody really cares about what he does, and he has nobody to please. He has nobody to appreciate him. Works hard, does this thing, uh, gains riches, but nobody cares. He doesn't have a friend. And he doesn't have a relative. This is part of life's futility. For whom do I labor? So the preacher puts himself in the shoes of the lonely man. And he, he asks this question, but he finds no answer. The question of life's purpose is raised up again. A man without companions or family may act as though he had someone to live for. But whom? On the secular side, there's no answer. But you know what? As a Christian, we always have somebody to live for, don't we? Amen. We always have somebody to please. <clears throat> we always have someone to, to labor for who appreciates it. Amen. That's Jesus. <clears throat> Next few verses, 9 through 12, talks about the blessings of companionship. 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one uh, be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a three co threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the solution to the sorrows of a lonely man uh, is the blessings of a companion. Two are better than one because they have a good reward. Uh, the main point of verse 9 uh, is expounded on in, in verses uh, 10 and 11, 12. All three of these risks are taken from, uh, from traveling back in those days. Uh, Pits and ravines and, and just open spots on the highway where you can walk and drop off. Nobody knows you're gone. Cold nights. The, the nights in Israel in the wintertime are really, really cold. 
wayside bandits, those that would rob you and hurt you. So the labor is not specific here, he says in verse number 9. talks about labor. It's just whatever we do when we have help doing it, it goes easier. Whatever pursuits you may be undertaking, having help is help. Companionship will help overcome all the difficulties. Good reward here in this verse means success that comes through cooperation. Amen. Verse number 10, uh, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. He doesn't have anybody to help him up. Doesn't have anybody to, you know, uh, give him any aid, unless they both fall, but they can help each other get out of that maybe, but... Being alone is, is dangerous. And again, in verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Travelers would sleep closer together, had that warmth. And if one prevail against him, the two shall withstand him, and a three cord, threefold cord is not quickly broken. A lonely traveler is uh, prey to robbers and bandits. Anybody ever been mugged before? I'm a muggy. A muggy. I've been rolled before in Korea when I first got there in the village. Little did I know, and I didn't know, I found out real fast, that at night the village does not belong to Korea. The village belongs to the United States military. And they divide that thing up in different sections. And if you wear the wrong color into the wrong section, uh, they escort you out with black and blue marks all over you. And I found that out. Didn't know there were boundaries. I thought it was Korea. I thought they owned the city. No, not at night. Not at night. They have their section. They have this section. Just like gangs in a big city. Military would claim certain parts of the city. But GIs wouldn't go in the wrong spot. Or you got you got beat up, you got kicked out of there. So, and there was about I don't know six or seven military bases right around the city that I was by. So I don't know who I don't know who they were or what they were or anything. But yeah, so I don't I didn't go there anymore. I didn't go to the village anymore at night. Just wasn't safe. But I was brand new there, and I wanted to kind of look at some of the shops. It's really busy during the day. Everybody used to hustle and bustle. I wanted to kind of walk around a little bit and see things. But boy, learn quick. They didn't they didn't kill me, of course, but they. I lost a little bit of money, and I got some, got some black eye and a bloody lip and some other stuff. And Yeah, they were cool. <laughs> they were cool. You know, we could kill you, you know. Uh, they were cool. They said in your place, you, the border's right here. Thanks for telling me. Why don't you put a sign up? <laughs> you know, but, yeah, I, I had to learn that. So, anyways, I, was, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a companion to whoop on them, get them. Big companion, the best kind of that big guy. Whoop him. No. But, yeah, that's, that's strength in numbers. The threefold cord was a uh, proverb of the ancient world. You see that through Scripture in the Old Testament. The threefold cord. The next few verses, 13 through 16, talks about isolation breeds, he calls it folly. Let's look at 13 through 16. 
Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. You can draw some parallels here if you want to during this, this scripture here. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he hath that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that stand up in, the, in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them, and they that uh, they also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Uh, there's some characters in this passage, and there hasn't been any real uh, effort to identify who they are. It's kind of hypothetical. Better is a poor man, a poor and wise child, than an old fool, foolish king who won't, uh, no, will no more be admonished. The Old Testament wisdom that we read about uh, uh, is it, it is reckoned to lie that uh, with increasing age and experience, wisdom came. I feel wiser every year. Except the bottom part of it that I've already learned drops out, but I, I become wiser every year. Leviticus uh, 19.32 says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. But I also realize, and he expresses it here, that the aged may lose their wisdom. I was once young and dumb, but I'm not young anymore. Yeah. We start losing some wisdom here, don't we? We start doing some foolish things sometimes. Uh, Job 12.20 says, He removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. I don't understand young people very well. I don't know what it is. Language changed. Acronyms that used to be there aren't there anymore. This used to mean this. Doesn't mean it anymore. You know? I dealt with young people in the Army and, and at WTA, young people, and I could not keep up I couldn't get the head stoop and the walk with the thing at the same time either. I, just don't time. I can't get that. People do it all the time. I don't know what it is. They must be born with some other kind of gene or so. I don't know what it is, but I can't do it. I can't even text with, I can't do this. I've got to use one hand and redo it. You know, I can't do that. I don't have that ability. Have I gotten dumber? I don't know. Everybody gotten smarter? I don't know. But the preacher applies this man losing wisdom. He couldn't be admonished anymore. An old man been there a long time can't be admonished anymore. Uh, so this hypothetical king, he once used to listen to advice, but as he grew wiser, he became wise within himself, didn't he? Proverbs 26, 12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceits? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Become wise in our own conceits. We can't be told anything. Uh, we can't be advised about it because we know better. That's a dangerous place to be. Amen. Um, but I've seen folks that are there. Uh, I probably am there about some things. And what do you know? You're just a young person. You haven't lived through what I've lived through. You haven't seen what I've seen, you know. 
sometimes they're really smart. You got to listen to them. Amen. So I have to give them credit. I'll take it under advisement, and I relabel it as my own idea, right? That's what we do. No, I listen to them. That's some good, good wisdom. Yeah, you'll be a wise old man someday if you don't break your neck first or something or whatever. Yeah, wisdom is uh, perishable. It'll come, but then it'll go. It'll go. I think you get so much of it in there, it starts to just delete itself. Especially as old guys, we don't have much memory anyways, right? We don't have like, like about a 2K thumb drive, all we got in there, plug it in. We don't have much room for wisdom. But what we have, it's been swirling around for 67 years. And I try to, you know, go through the script to find something wise, and I get a couple of them all confused. You know, they enter, they, you know, upset each other. So it's just, and just dumb stuff comes out. So, yeah, that's what happens to you. Look forward to that. Yeah, you're not as wise as what you used to be. But these look up to old folks as wise. I used to do that too. I used to look up, look up to old old mechanics. Man, they did stuff without computers. How did you do that? They did stuff without the tools we had. How'd you do that? How'd you make that? Amazing. I like to watch these old shows on history where they they dug the tunnels for the subways and built a bridge. How'd they do that? Stuff still standing. Some of it, most of it, still there. Empire State Building, still there. All these old buildings, they had a lot of wisdom back then. Verse 14, For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. This verse is kind of, um, kind of obscure, uh, and, and the obscurity revolves around the ambiguity of who he is. There's a couple of he's here. Who is he? Let me paraphrase this a little bit. The young man has come out of prison to become king, even though he, the young man, was born poor in the older king's kingdom. The poor man in verse 14 is the same poor wise child in verse 13. You confused yet? Here's more. The king in both of these verses is the same king. So this verse is more about the young man's humble uh, origin. He had everything against him, and only wisdom helped him uh, attain the throne. Only his wisdom did he had. But verse 15, and I considered all the living which walked under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There's various interpretations to this text, but it seems in context to say that the youth, the second, the young man, shall take the place of the existing king in his stead. And then verse 16, there is no end of all the people, even of all that may have, that have been before him. They also shall come after, they also that shall come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is vanity and vexation of spirit. There, despite the large following this young man has, you know, or even an older guy, but all this following that he had, what happens over time? It didn't last. Hey, this huge, yes, we want you to be the king, yeah, 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 over several years, yeah, it's all not so much. It didn't last. So, this final phrase kind of sums up the preacher's point. Uh, uh, a, a, a little more uh, 
tale of, of the vanity in our world and frustration of trying to figure out what's going on. We don't like the old guy because he doesn't listen to us. So we get a new guy, okay for a while, then we don't like him anymore, and then there's somebody else. In the last four verses, we kind of seen another form of, of isolation here. The old king grows too self-confident, needs no advisor. He falls from, fit, from favor, and the new regime, the young guy, takes over. And despite his humble beginnings, he will go old and also be abandoned in place of someone else. So that's kind of sad, isn't it? We'll start a little bit on chapter 5. Oops. Chapter 5 talks about, uh, we talked about, uh, in chapter 1, we talked about earth vanity. We talked about all the, the rivers and the wind. It blows and blows and blows, all the vanity there. Uh, we talked about uh, what God gives us back in chapter 2, uh, the assurance of his sovereignty back in chapter 3, those first several verses with all the, the pairs of pairs, uh, uh, the, God's sovereignty. And we look at the various forms of isolation here, you know, without a companion, without a helper, without a, a relative, without uh, anything. We face that. But earlier on, the preacher talked about a God who gives a life of joy and pleasure. <clears throat> we looked at that verse. How, how do you approach this God? So this chapter here, first part of chapter 5, talks about how to approach God. It talks about obedience, sacrifice, prayer, vows. But there are also dangers. If God is in heaven, the ruler, and the judge... He cannot be approached just casually. So these proverbial verses here are inserted dealing with our approach to God. That's what the preacher is talking about now. And the first note, this, this, this is the first note kind of, of um, I guess, exhortation. How to approach God, how to address him, and receive, uh, and how he will receive our vows. We don't mostly do vows anymore, but we'll get to that probably next week. Almost out of time. Let's look at the first couple of verses. Chapter 5, verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God, and be ready to hear, then to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. The house of God is referring to the temple. Who built the temple? Starts with an S. Solomon. So, to the godly Israelite, the temple was the focal point of worship. Okay? Keep thy foot, literally means guard thy foot, and refers to your demeanor and your preparedness as you come to worship. If you come to worship, be ready to worship. And especially to obey. Ready to hear in that verse, more ready to hear, refers to hearing and heeding. What does heeding mean? Okay. Obeying or putting that into action, huh? What you hear, you're putting it into action. You're obeying it, but you're, you're, you're doing what the preacher 
you know, what the Bible told you to do. You're heeding that, that advice, that exhortation. You're, oh, this is what I need to, to change in my life. I'm heeding that. Okay? The second half of the verse, in comparison, for they consider, let me see here, oh, be ready to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. The second half of this verse is the comparison means uh, the fool. It talks about the sacrifice here. Then to give the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools refers to a thing called the Saba. Zaba, Z-A-B-A-H. And it was a sacrifice. They killed the sacrifice, but then they ate it. It wasn't a sacrifice for atonement for sins. It was one that they, they killed and they ate. But sometimes that would turn into a big festival or a feast or get over, overdone, overblown, out of control. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. They could tend to degenerate and spin out of control and, and, and really devolve into something bad. So he says, you know, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. The burnt offering was totally consumed by fire. Okay? Now... The preacher's not attacking the sacrificial system, but he's attacking the misuse of it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. I've got just a minute here. We'll finish up this verse. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And, and we know the story of Saul's incomplete obedience, don't we? What was Saul told to do? Utterly destroy right and he didn't he disobeyed God in 1st Samuel 15 verse 22 he says and on 21 he says you know uh, uh, I'm gonna have these so we can sacrifice them verse 22 Samuel said hath in Samuel and Samuel said hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold it is better to obey is better than what? The sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. So he had to admonish. He did more than admonish. He took the kingdom away from Saul because he disobeyed God. And he decided he was going to do this by himself in his own, his own little way here. God would be pleased with this. God wasn't pleased with this because he didn't follow the rules. The characteristic of a fool appears when they are ignorant in doing wrong. Bible called it evil. We'll stop here in verse number two, and we'll kind of pick up from here, talking about our relationship with God, and it talks about how to approach Him, and it talks about vows. Anybody ever make a vow? Anybody ever not keep a vow? How many of you ever? God, if you answer this prayer, I'll I'll stop or I'll start or I'll change whatever it is, and then He answers the prayer, and guess what? Talks about that. We'll have a uh, 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 invitation right after the lesson. Now, we've all done it, haven't we? God, if you do this, I swear, I'll promise I'll do this. Then the Bible talks about people making excuses. So stay tuned next week. Yeah. God will never know, or God doesn't care, but He does.
Thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Thank you for the lesson, Father. Pray, God, you bless our service to follow, Father. Pray, God, you bring visitors today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.